Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Can a street be a character? Can a street provide a plot line or a narrative? Well, it can certainly be a setting. Reading Judith Buckridge's account of Ackland Street, the grand lady of St Kilda, is more than just a history. It's a social narrative and an insight into the cultural evolution of Australia as much as it is of uh, this one street in St Kilda. So, Judith, welcome to 3CR. Thank you very much. Thank you. you've written quite a number of local histories. The story of St Kilda Road, the history of Parantec, there's one on Rusden Drama. History seems to have this sort of compelling resonance with you. Look, it does, and um, my first work of this kind was the history of St Kilda Road. And I haven't stopped since then, so that that was published 20 years ago. And I don't know quite how or why, but I just took off. And uh, the first, you know, I was commissioned to write quite a few. The Collins Street history was a commission. The Port of Melbourne history was a commission. So in between, I just took on projects that I wanted to do and try to get money out of councils, and you know. But do we know enough about our own history? Well, we don't. And that's why I do this, because I try and provide very uh, kind of friendly, fun Uh, at the same time quite serious and interesting and properly researched um, works that give us a proper insight into our very, you know, I mean, we've had 200 years of history here in Melbourne as far as European history is concerned, thousands of years as far as Aboriginal history. That's another story. But, yeah. Well, the the Indigenous history sort of comes into Ackland Street as well. Yes, it does. Yes, I, I try to provide the setting Uh, of pre-European settlement um, with all the, well, especially with the books that are about streets or the port, um, because I think it's very important for people to be able to even visualise what a place was like before we, well, just soiled it. There's no other way of putting it, really, you know. Well, there's there's one figure in the book of the local... uh, tribe uh, and the and the decimation yes. of, you know, a couple of hundred down to 28 or something, right. I think, was the That's figure. Right. But you've broken the book into periods of time, the founding in the early 1800s, the early 20th century, World War One. Each of these periods, however, seems to have a common thread. There's always this sense of an eclectic mix about Ackland Street. That's right. Look, I think St Kilda, not just Ackland Street, always had that fantastic um, variety, partly because it's quite close to Melbourne. The train was a very early train in Melbourne, 1857. And the numbers on the train. That you, you've oh yes, the, yes, it was passenger. immediately you know over overflowing, but even before the train, there were people coming down every Sunday in their carriages down St Kilda Road in not St Kilda Road the way we know it now, but a kind of rough made but you know roughly made St Kilda Road because St Kilda was the place where people came to have a Sunday picnic or and even very early on uh, before. St Kilda existed, Um, people like Governor Latrobe and his friends would picnic on the beach at St Kilda. And this seems to be a tradition in sort of Melbourne cultural life. We just keep moving further down the bay. Well, we do, we do. But And and 
part of it is, of course, because we had such a... We didn't have sewerage in Melbourne until 1901. So you can imagine 1880, we had 500,000 people living in Melbourne. It was one of the biggest cities in the world with no sewerage. So, of course, people were... Those who could came and lived out of the city, those who couldn't would just come and spend time. And so you had this mixture of people who were building beautiful mansions and, you know, all of that. And then you also had Tent City during uh, the Gold Rush period. But you even had Tent City before that and after that, people who were just living on the beach and police trying to do things about that. So there was always this sort of mixture of really very well-to-do people. Also Christchurch, which was the social scene, you know, that's where everyone got married again, 1857, very early on. So you have this very interesting mix. You mentioned the numbers in Melbourne. I mean, the gold rush sort of provided this mass of people that we just couldn't cope with. No, no. And then uh, we just had to cope with it, really, because despite a lot of people not finding gold, they did decide to stay. It was better than going back to England or Germany or all the many countries that they came from during the gold rush. So, yes, that was really the beginning of Melbourne's enormous expansion. Now, another common thread uh, in Ackland Street is how it both reflected world historical events as well as set trends. I mean... In Ackland Street, as elsewhere in the cities of Australia, World War I wrought unprecedented and unpredicted social, cultural and economic changes. The death and disabling of men who had fought in the war, the resulting numbers of women unable to marry or forced to become main breadwinners, their employment in factories and shops as opposed to service, and the beginnings of internationalism changed life completely. That's so right. This massive transformation right. after World War I. Yes, and it was... I think people really don't understand how, not just in Melbourne, but, you know, in the rest of Australia, we sort of have pre-World War I history and post-World War I history World War One history and the class system was broken down and, you know, as I've talked about, women uh, changed the, their role completely and then soon afterwards changed their clothes and the cinema had a lot to do with that. I mean, there were two cinemas in Ackland Street at one stage. There was one on the corner of Barclay Street and one uh, at the Memorial Hall where Mimo is now and In the 1920s, you know, the films that were coming from America had these really racy, fabulous women smoking cigarettes, wearing almost nothing, um, you know, having lots of men falling at their feet. And I can't tell you, I mean, a little suburb like Elstonwick, there were four cinemas in Glen Huntley Road. It was a cheap, fabulous way to have entertainment and it had an extraordinary effect on women and how they viewed themselves. But not just how women viewed themselves, with the men going off to war. That's right. And the displacement. That's right. And then the women would have had to have... Well, they just had to step up. That's right. There was no choice. So many of the first shops uh, were run by women. Uh, It's interesting because, you know, you have quite often in the Sands of MacDougall, you have the woman who is running the shop and the man is mentioned as someone who lives at the same address. Now, that man may well have been someone who had a job somewhere and was going off, but that is the way, you know, that that they're listed. So that's a very interesting thing. 
So, yes, you, you have this fantastic, um, strong female line. And I think, too, the thing is about St Kilda that even though it was fun city and there were, you know, by then there was Luna Park and all these, I think women still felt quite safe living in St Kilda. It's a really... Because, I mean, I've looked through Sands and McDougall for so many of my projects now, and this is the, the by far the largest proportion of women in any area that I've ever come across. So I think, well, look, obviously this mixture of, you know, of rich and poor, um, the fact that, you know, after the turn of the 19th to the 20th century, there started to be a lot of shops, there was a lot of entertainment and fun. But the eclectic mix is added to because you've got this European oh, influence yes, as well. Yes. Uh, was that more post-World War One Europeans yes, coming yes, in yes. and the emergence of the Jewish community? Look, or? there was already a Jewish community in Ackland Street in the 19th century. I mean, Linden, which is now an art gallery, was owned by the Michaelis family from 1870 to something like 1960 or something. So there were quite a few Jewish families in the street, but they were from that class of people who were, you know, either... Um, members of parliament or, you know, had some sort of business or something like that. After the First World War and, and closer to the Second World War, the refugees started to come from um, from Nazi Germany and from other European countries that were invaded. But by. they're bringing in and they're bringing a lifestyle. In, thank goodness. Look, <laughs> I can remember when we arrived in Australia in 1958, my mother just could not believe it. She wanted to get straight back on the boat and go home because it was Desolation Row and there were no... We can't imagine now what Melbourne is like mm. because, you know, there was no coffee anywhere. You, there were two streets. There was Ligon Street and there was Ackland Street. Those two streets or in the city, you could get a decent coffee. Nowhere else, you know, suburbia was just this <laughs> desert <laughs> and of food and culture and everything yeah. else. Well, yeah. this is it, the, you know, the cake shop. The cake shops, <laughs> yes, the cake shops, but also the delis, you know, because we, you know, we're used to a certain kind of food and so were, you know, the Italians and the Polish Jews and, you know, the Russian Jews. And so, thank goodness, people actually, you know, set these shops up and started to make these foods available to people. And so that's where you went to but do your shopping. Now there's also this, this continuity, because if I can use another literary reference, Arnold Zabel. Yeah. Now, you mention Café Scheherazade yes, sort of thing. Yes, but about then, which he wrote a book. And yes. then he's written a book. Yeah. And so there's this sort of uh, thread that starts that's to right. emerge that binds... Uh, Australian cultural life yeah, together. that's right. Well, look, somewhere like, you, you know, I don't know, some of the listeners might remember the South Pacific, which is now the St Kilda Bars. But, you know, that was a, such a European place. You know, you went there, there was a bit of grass, there was a cafe, so mum and dad used to love going there. And then, you know, you would actually be able to have a swim in the sea and you were protected from the sharks because it was all enclosed. <laughs> and, you know, it still sort of have this quite civilised way that, you know, that, you know, places like Baden-Baden in Europe, you know, that was the way that you experienced taking the waters. Because the rest of us kids, we would just go to St Kilda Beach on the 69 tram. Our parents would, you know, then on Sundays the men would have their 
Jewish parliament every Sunday. They would stand in great rows and discuss, you know, whatever world events they were with great passion and enthusiasm. The women would be in the cafes drinking coffee. (laughs) Um, You know, there was just a whole lifestyle involved in coming to Ackland Street and the surrounding area. But it's also setting the tone because it was one of the first areas where there was a community group for the LGBTI uh, group, a centre for AIDS and things like this. So it's it's setting. Absolutely. And And the European settlement, I mean, a lot of my friends have said this, you know, they came down to St Kilda, let's say, in 1970-something to visit and that was it. That they decided that day that they were going to move to that suburb. So the mingling of the Jewish and the really groovy, you know, the, the artists, the writers, the musicians, mingling was what created a fantastic thing. And, of course, yes, the, you know, the gay community was very much part of that. Um, then there were the sex workers and the drugs and all of that. So, you know, all of that made up this extraordinary kind of eclectic Wonderful. And a lot of firsts, you know, lots of firsts. As just as a final question, um, the future for Ackland oh, Street, do you think? God. Well, look, it really depends so much on the developers, doesn't it? Mm. <laughs> Melbourne has always depended on for its future on the developers. I know people don't realise that, but it has. So it's very hard to tell. At the moment, Ackland Street is full of local tourists, people who come from other suburbs and backpackers. It's probably going to go on like that for a while. Um, I don't think there's going to be much more of... uh, Well, perhaps there will be more new buildings. I don't know. A lot of them are protected now. It's very hard to tell. Very hard to tell. (laughs) Well, I've been talking to Judith Buckridge about Ackland Street, the Grand Lady of St Kilda, and I'm just looking for the publisher. Atom. Atom. The Australian Teachers of Media, um, because they're part of the St Kilda Historical Society. Because they're in St Kilda, so they publish the book, yes. Well, thank you very much, Judith. That's all right. Most interesting. Well, you you hear about people doing sea changes or tree changes in their lives. I've always been a city girl. Would it be like to live in a small town? And thanks to authors like Tess Evans, I can appreciate it through good storytelling. Now, Tess has been with us at 3CI here, published on a, a number of times. And welcome back, Tess. Thank you, Jan. Your community that you brought to life used to be called Dead Horse Creek. <laughs> yes, that's, that's until the ladies of the town decided it wasn't a very nice name. Um, it, it's set on the fictional plains, which is a, um, a farming area, very rich soil, good water, good climate. Uh, but the first settler to come there lost his horse in a creek and because he had very little imagination, he called the town Dead Horse Creek. Um, so what's it called now? It's now called Banjo Crossing because rumour hath it that Banjo Patterson actually came to town one time. So no one's really sure, but someone's father's uncle knew that this happened, so Banjo Crossing. And, of course, the community has embraced all of this and used it as a little bit of a spin-off. As country towns do. I mean, mm. think of Tamworth and um, um, Port Ferry. They all have their little festivals, so so they have a, a, banjo, a, a bush ballad competition. That's, that's their little festival. Absolutely, and all the, uh, the shops and hotels have all yeah. got a little bit of a banjo. Yes, feel. we have the Jibang Hotel and we have the... <laughs> um, 
the Iron Bar- Iron Barber, 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 Barber Shop. shop. Yes, yes. Now, it's quoted as an enterprising little town with its fair share of youngish farmers, a couple with degrees in agriculture. It has three book clubs, a coral society, and any number of canny business people. And of course, one of these business people was the drover's wife, or she owned the cafe. But as everybody comes in and points out. That's the wrong parrot. <laughs> <laughs> and it was called the drover's wife when she came and she thought, well, why bother changing it? Uh, but she, get, she gets a bit annoyed when they come in and say that. That's yeah. Henry Lawson. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So this um, Banjo Crossing has got her cross-section of community. There's the rich and the poor and the movers and the shakers. We've got Ray Silverstone, mm. who may have a meek and mild daughter, Jenny, the town librarian. Well, what can you expect from a town librarian? Yes. <laughs> And uh, But he's changed his name from Moon Ray because who are his parents? His parents were a couple of hippies who came to town um, in the early days and, and they called him Silver Moon Ray. So when he decided to become uh, the town real estate agent, <laughs> he, he, he thought it didn't sound, sound too dignified, so he called himself Ray Silverstone. <laughs> well, these uh, his parents are um, out-of-town hippies, but they do mm. know things and they're giving farm advice and pain relief to their neighbours. They do give pain relief to their neighbours. Um, they they grow a little crop, yes, <laughs> and um, they don't sell it. They give it away to people who need it, and um, if people can afford to pay, they, they give it to the local hospital. So, you know, they, they're, on the good, they're with the good guys. So yeah. why, does, why does, on this neighbouring uh, family, uh, family are Don and Sean and mm-hmm. their children, why does Sean need the, um, the pain relief? Sean is um, uh, one of the few unsuccessful farmers on the plains. He's in a um, a situation where his land has been degraded by his grandfather's attempted gold mine, and um, so they barely scrape a living. And um, Sean has discovered that he has terminal cancer, and um, it, it causes all sorts of problems mm. in the town, both for them and, and for the wider yeah, community. Yeah. Now, in all of these country towns, we know about the CWA and how a country mm. town looks after its own. And Marty, now we're going back to Marty, who had the Drover's Wife Cafe. Mm-hmm. She's actually felt this community spirit, hasn't she? She has. Um, she was widowed quite young and um, he was a local teacher. And uh, the, the, the community has closed around her they support her coffee shop um and she's very she's very much the girl of the town she grew Mm. up there she went away to uni and she came back so uh so and she too um helps out uh, sean and donna um in her turn so what goes around comes around as they say donna Mm. being her very best friend well into banjo crossing comes jack Mafail. The first two people he meets are Marty and Mrs. Compton Ballard. Now, how do they react to him? Well, Mrs. Compton Ballard is um, the widow of uh, the um, The landed gentry, basically. And uh, she she's very conscious of her place in in, in the town. And and Jack accidentally sits in her chair. (laughs) And she... And Marty decides not to, to, to say that. She said it's a pretty boring town and, you know, <laughs> the most exciting thing that happens is someone sits in Mrs Compton Ballard's chair. Um, so uh, in, in the end, because he's a reasonably good-looking young man and Mrs Compton Ballard still thinks she's um, uh, attractive to men, um, she invites him to sit down and have coffee mm. with her. 
Marty's a bit suspicious yeah, of him. quote mm. from the book. If I'm any judge, this is Marty, I'd say he is running away from something. Mm-hmm. Well, what, do, what does Jack tell them about himself? He, first he tells them very little, um, just that he's looking maybe for work and they, they tend to laugh a bit at that. Well, you know, why would you come to Badger Crossing looking for work? Uh, when he's pushed... He says he's a writer. He's come to town to write um, a murder mystery set in a country town. Mm. Um, And because of that, um, he ends up on the ballad judging competition and he knows absolutely nothing about ballads (laughs) or poetry or anything. And he also gets a job of respect, which is driving the local school bus. That's right. Which is his Sean's, it was was one of Sean's responsibilities. So it brings him close to the the family of Sean Mm -hmm. and Dan too. uh, Sean and Donna too. But then there is something to split a community. Strangers come to town. They require two houses and an office to rent. And they won't tell Maria, the real estate receptionist, what business they are in. So Tess Evans is going to read a little bit from page 61. Um, This is Maria, the receptionist, speaking. All high and mighty. Apparently we're not good enough to know what they're up to. What they're up to. This phrase grew like yeast in its own frothy brew. Up to. Two words suggesting what they would be up to was no good. No one had ever been described as being up to good. It stood to reason then that Banjo Crossing had something to fear. It'll be a McDonald's, mark my words. One of those huge supermarkets, the locals will be forced out of business. Could be one of those big shopping malls. Teenage girls and their shopping-starved mothers secretly hoped this might be so. Someone had it on good authority that it was one of those happy, clappy churches. As if we don't have enough empty pews, the local clergy lamented and resolved to make their services more relevant. (laughs) Okay, well, these strangers, they need to buy a farm. So whose farm is the most obvious to buy? Well, the most obvious to buy is Sean's uh, Mm. because uh, he's not making any money, he's ill, um, he has a wife and three children. How are they going to manage the farm without him? Um, So... They are the ones that they concentrate on. And now there is a suspicion that the farming land is going to be used for another purpose. So mm. it's a big group that get together, save the plains and start talking about food security. But, of course, half of the town wants more job opportunities. That's right. So they're going for this new change. How will this all affect Banjo Crossing Ballad Festival? How will it affect the locals? And the local librarian may have to use the skills. She has grand social media skills than many of the others. And Mrs Compton Ballard, what will she do? <laughs> well, we're not going to tell no, her. We, we won't tell what she does, but um, she, well, does her, she does her bit. So let's get back to Jack and Marty. Mm. Jack has been reading ballads as a judge, and I, I like this. You know, he, he sort of starts to reading all these ballads, but he's also looking at Marty because you know, he quite likes Marty. But, quote, When does the mourner turn from the dead and return to the living? In classic ballads, the poet left the lover weeping beside the grave or lying side by side in the churchyard, lovers even in death. 
There were no stanzas, stanzas to show the bereaved beyond the state of mourning. Of course, Marty, having lost her husband, the kids, their father, mm. was she still there? Mm. Yes. Would she ever give love a second chance? <laughs> I think she'd like to. Who knows? <laughs> oh, but when she did give love and sec- sex a second chance, she felt used. Oh, well, there is so many surprises in, in, in this book. Mm. And, and I think with the writing, it's the humour that surprises me most. If any of you have ever taken a parent to have a um, an assessment, a cognitive assessment, it is just brilliant what you've done there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I think we all have to do that once in a while. <laughs> well... How Things Work Out at Banjo Crossing uh, delightfully summarised. And this is where you, uh, Tess Evans, also uses her wit as a poet. What have you done? Oh, I've, I've written a, um, the ballad of Banjo Crossing, the one that wins the competition, is actually um, an homage to uh, Banjo Patterson's The Man from Snowy River. So, yes. It was so funny to read that. It's like that little wraparound you get at a good movie or yeah. something. You find out what happened with the characters. Well, it was very, very good. Now, as I said at the beginning, Tess Evans, this isn't the first time I've had you in here. No, it's not. No, no. This is your fourth time. Yes. The Memory Tree and the Mercy Street, they both had individuals who mm. may have needed a foisting on them by, mm. ind- by, other, by the community. But your first book... Book of Lost Threads was also set in a small community called Opportunity. Opportunity, yes. I've always been interested in in small communities and in country towns. Um, I haven't, I have to confess now, I haven't actually lived in one, but I have spent a lot of time in them with family and and, and so forth. So um, I I just sort of find the dynamics interesting and, and the fact that they are real communities, which... Uh, I think we're losing a lot now. Mm. No, it was just a lovely mm. look in. I thoroughly enjoyed it. In fact, Thank I, you, I so enjoyed it and so much. I'm going to talk with Tess again on Monday night at Eltham Library. So if anybody's listening out there, come to Eltham Library, Library on Monday night and you can hear it all again. They'd be very <laughs> welcome. Thank you, Jen. What's happened to Australian ballads? It's part What's of our happened? lost history as well and our lost language. In many oh, ways. Well, that's true. There's another, There's another book. book. <laughs> another book for you, Judith, in terms of the, of the language. And I should say that Judith first came in here many years ago w- with the history of Port Melbourne. Port of Melbourne. Port of Melbourne. Mm. Oh, I do apologise. Oh, it, yes, it is too. So it's lovely that we have this program that um, authors continue to return to. Oh, indeed. But uh, there was movement at the station. For the word had passed around that the cult from old regret had got away and had joined the wild bush horses. He oh. was worth a thousand pounds of all the cracks that gathered to the fray. And now people would say, what are pounds? <laughs> what are pounds? <laughs> and I mean, what's a fray? Yeah, <laughs> but also you, you look at um, C.J. Dennis, uh, the line heading browns. No one knows that, but it's playing two up. The browns are the coins. Uh-huh. So all of these references, and even with C.J. Dennis more so, the, uh, the language and the idiom he uses, but with Banjo mm. Patterson and mm. that tradition... Uh, and what their uh, the language used there, gone. There's a lot of really lovely language that's been lost, I think, in the Australian idiom. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm, my father's generation were probably the last to use it, really, in, in normal speech. Yes, mm. yeah. So we need more books about that, more books about <laughs> the setting with the history. Um, oh, Judith, you're going to be busy, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> but I have been too, so you know, it won't be any different. Okay, well, David. Me? 
Judy, I'm sorry. <laughs> there was a cue there that Jan was giving me. Oh. I was talking to Judith Buckrich about Ackland Street, the Grand Lady of St Kilda. And I was talking with Tess Evans about the Ballad of Banjo Crossing. So we'll... Well, tune in next week and we'll have oh, more books, more, more books, more authors, people, uh, more fun. And thank you very much for coming. Thank, thank you. you.